Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Muddy Knees Media. Listeners, the heating's on. It's getting darker and darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? For a mere 100 of your Scottish pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash Show. Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, Relentless Rangers, the Staggy Stink Up the Joint and Falkirk are on fire. Yes, alliteration is awesome. I'm Andrew Slavin and alongside me, Brandon and Bull, attorneys at law. Not really, but they're normally known as Laura Brannan from Motherwell Football Club and JJ Bull from The Telegraph. Hello to the both of you. Are you still happy about Scotland qualifying for the Euros or are we a little bit miffed about losing to Slovakia and Israel and failing to win the, the Nations League group that we were in? Yes and yes. A bit of both. A wee bit of both. Absolutely buzzing, still absolutely gutted. So it was like you were up, Scottish you were like me then, up in a high, in cloud nine and then a hefty kick in the balls. It's just so typical Scotland, obviously. <laughs> uh, well, um... I sort of I mean, <laughs> uh, just. But it was great. Like we achieved the thing we we're meant to do. We didn't play that much differently in any of the games, but it just ended up not getting the results in the second two. I mean, this, it, it's all right. I think it's fine just to celebrate where we are, and I don't think just because we beat Serbia suddenly meant that Scotland were some amazing team that are going to walk the Euros. It's good Absolutely. that we're there. We have a bit of a, we have a bit of a party for that. Oh, we can hope that you know something special happens at a time. But uh, yeah, like. We've, I mean, we play Israel every week, so it's kind of. <laughs> you think uh, we'd know how to beat them then now. by now? Yeah, it's a bit of a derby now, isn't it? Yes, uh, it just we shot ourselves in the foot with the Nations League. It was a complete mischance. It's kind of screwed us a wee bit for the Euros in twenty twenty four. It screwed us a wee bit for the World Cup. Um, I think we've all kind of got a wee bit of short term vision by going, oh, it's okay because we got to this Euros that are coming up next summer. Yes, it was absolutely fantastic. But who better to ruin a Scotland party than Scotland ourselves? It's, yeah, it's just so true. typical. Very but we true. just have to win our group to qualify for the World Cup now, oh, right? So easy. Yeah, absolutely yeah. easy. Who's in the group yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> absolutely fine. I think the draw for that is coming up quite soon as well, I believe. Yeah, it's the start of December, the draw. Oh, Exciting. Um, well, look, this wasn't the only bit of exciting news that happened in Scottish football this week because a um, bit of a revelation that Clay Davis from The Wire is a Stenhouse Muir fan. Um, he's, if you don't know, he's the guy in The Wire who says this. She. <laughs> I'm glad I now remember or know why I say that sometimes. It's from The Wire, right? Yeah, I know. Right. Exactly. This all okay. start, it started with this guy called Brian Garcia on Twitter. Um, he said he was he was maybe the only person in America watching Dunfermline v Hearts. And that's when Isaiah Whitlock Jr., um, he's the guy who plays Clay Davis, replied, She... <laughs> I shouldn't have tried it. Um, he goes, She... When they're playing Stenhouse Muir, let me know. So since then, Stenhouse Muir have offered to send him a shirt. And Whitlock also tweeted, Hey, Stenhouse Muir, don't let me down against Queen's Park. She... <laughs> this one's personal. <laughs> Are you going to do this more in the podcast? I like it. <laughs> I would love to. I'd love to, but I, I just can't do it justice. It's quite interesting when people across the pond get involved in football um, over here because I don't know if you've heard like Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are buying Wrexham as well. Or in fact, they've actually they've kind of almost got it over the line. They've just been voted. Um, the takeover got voted through. Have you heard about this story? Yeah, yeah. The gang buys us a football club. That's the name of the next episode. It's going to be great. I like. <laughs> Everyone's got to be Wrexham and football manager now. That's the surely the next thing. I'd love to, I'd love to see if someone with a bit of money would come and buy some Scottish clubs. Like, why don't you just go up and buy? I don't know, Cove. That'd be great fun. 
If you, oh, do you if mean you like had, a celebrity? Yeah, like Tom, just not Tom Cruise. Me. Who's better than Tom Cruise? Uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Oh, I'd love if Tom Hanks bought Aberdeen. That'd be great. If Tom Hanks could buy Aberdeen and like Brad Pitt would come in and buy. Uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> who would he buy? Someone cool. Partick. <laughs> Morgan Freeman would be cool to no. come into Scottish football. Isn't the yeah. Hoff? He's a Partick Thistle fan, isn't he? Yeah. Is he? Yeah, well, you know, know, allegedly. There's no beaches in Partick. The same way that Snoop Dogg's a Celtic fan. Yeah, he's got a shirt for every club. No, he's not. None of them are fans. (laughs) None of them are fans. They just wear the shirt. Everyone just jumps in the bandwagon. (laughs) Well, look, the big weekend in the Premiership, the top four all played each other, um, but we're going to start at Ibrox. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Harfield. Kent. Skipping away from Ojo. Kent! Oh my goodness. It's a fabulous finish! Oh my goodness. From Ryan Kent! That is the way to end a barren spell! Rangers had the chance to go 11 points clear at the top of the Premiership and they, they did so. A 4 0 emphatic win over Aberdeen on Sunday. So we're joined now by David Edgar from the Heart and Hand podcast. David, you probably don't want to say this, but. Is it the year? Is this is this the is this maybe even the just the best chance or best position Rangers have ever been in for the last 10 12 years? Not yet. I mean definitely it's it's the first time that you've looked at our bench I think and thought, "Oh wait a minute, we've got four or five guys here who can come on and and change a game." Um or if we were to lose someone to injury, we've got four or five guys in the squad that that come in and and don't significantly weaken us. I mean, the only two players I think at the moment that Rangers would you'd notice would badly miss would be uh, Tavernier and Goldson. I think that we've got cover. That's not to say, you know, you don't want a guy like Ryan Kent or, or Borna Barisic in the side, but I think that there are other players who can come in and do a job there, whereas I think with Tavernier and Goldson, they're the two that are pretty much irreplaceable at the moment. But yeah, look, Rangers have been building towards something for the last few years, and the problem is in Scottish football because we have such a laser focus on it, and we're so close to it that we sometimes miss the emerging patterns of it, and, and Rangers have been building very solid foundations, whereas I think that, that we tended to look at maybe what happened at Tynecastle last year, the Hamilton defeat at home, and think, oh, well, that's the end of the, the cycle. And it really wasn't. And Rangers have gone away, used the time that, that unfortunately, we all had after the, the, the first COVID interruption this year and analysed what they needed to do better, assessed where they needed to strengthen the squad, and are now in a position to go and do that. And that's not to say, you know, we can't control what Celtic do, but for the first time in years, I feel like Rangers will post a, a points total that at least means Celtic are going to have a challenge. Do you think it, we're at the stage where if Celtic do turn this around, it's seen as a comeback or is it just too early to, to call it that? Yeah, I think it's a little early because you would expect both sides to, to have ups and downs from here on in. But but certainly if it continues, if their form continues the way that it has been going, then they're going to put themselves in a position where they're, they're going to need a comeback. And I think that that's... That's been the probably the thing that, that's most excited Rangers supporters in terms of the, the league chase, which has been that we have put pressure on Celtic when they've had a, a slight blip, because previously we haven't. We just haven't been able to do it. We haven't been able, when Celtic were having a little bit of a dip, to to post the points, to get them on the board and say, right, now over to you. And that relaxes the opposition, because they know at the back of their mind, let's go out and just play our football, because... Yeah, say we slip up today, it doesn't really matter because they will. And I think that for once, Rangers are actually putting the doubt into Celtic's mind and saying, actually, you can't afford to slip up, you can't afford to drop any points. I think what was key after the old firm match was the Celtic had three crucial away games. And had they got nine points from those, then I think that you would have been able to argue, well, the old firm game was a blip, anything can happen, etc., etc., they've dropped points in two of those matches and that is different to previous years. That wouldn't have happened in previous seasons at Celtic. So I have no doubt that they'll sort themselves out. They've got good players, we know that. But I think that from a Rangers point of view, they are actually concentrating on on what we do and I think you're seeing the results of that. Is this one of the best Rangers teams you've seen? Because it's the best start to a season in 53 years. You've not conceded at Ibrox in the Premiership. How do you rate this team right now? 
I think it's different. I mean, I'm I'm very old, so I've seen a lot of Rangers teams in my time, and and I've seen a lot of good ones. Um, you know, in my lifetime, the '86, '87 team, uh, the '95, '96 team, the 2002, 2003 treble winning teams, quite underrated. So there's a lot of good sides in there that played good football. What I will say is that this Rangers team at the moment is playing football that's as entertaining as I've seen uh, from a Rangers side because. It's quite a modern style of football. It's pass and move. They're um, very comfortable on the ball. You've got a lot of players who... Uh, it's a very attack-minded style. And you've got a lot of players who want to get forward and contribute from that point of view. But And I think they know this. They, they can't be spoken about in those terms until they deliver trophies. It really is that simple. Well, JJ, give us the Aberdeen perspective. At least it wasn't 8-0, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there was a little... A little bit in that second half where I thought it was going to be close. <laughs> you were missing difficult. a few players though, weren't you? Uh, I wasn't. The football club Aberdeen were. But as I remind you, as a neutral journalist on our podcast, it's not a fan <laughs> podcast. Uh, I but it's relevant. Like as we Rangers are, to the, they're just phenomenal this season. They look so good. They're so well coached. Um, I was reading a thing in the Athletic uh, the other day about. Um, how uh, like Michael Beale set them up and how they how often they spend on the training ground, especially at the end of a week preparing for a match. Uh, I think Jordan Campbell wrote it, and they're talking about how um, how this four three two one formation, how they go through the shape all of the time to make sure that they lead certain players into certain positions so they can steal the ball and they cut the angles out and the passing options out so they have total control of what they're doing. All the players know where they're meant to be. It's taken years to get that way. And a lot of that's. Um, Michael Beale doing the coaching on the training ground. He takes charge of a lot of first team training, apparently. But regardless, when you've got players as good as they have, the squad that Gerard has assembled is fantastic. Like David was talking about the depth. When you look at the bench they've got, it's mental. Aberdeen's bench, they got a 16 year old come on for his debut. Um, I think his name is Ryan Duncan. Didn't know anything about him before he came on. Uh, and they, I mean, they had a left back playing in the centre midfield, and you had Funso Ojo, who uh, I don't want to be mean to these players, but my God, he's. Not good. <laughs> uh, he, I think he does a lot of what um, Ryan Jack used to do. It's all quite short passes, but it's mostly sideways. But he never seems to want to put it forward. He never carries the ball. He seems very lightweight. I feel like any of us in this podcast would win a midfield battle against Funsuojo. I wouldn't be feared to play him in midfield, which is not what you want. <laughs> and like, if you if you imagine Rangers to put, say Rangers have been forced to play uh, uh, Bassi in midfield, and they'd put. I don't know who's who's their worst midfielder. I can't think, but their worst midfielder in midfield. It makes a difference, especially against the midfield three when you only have two. So the players are missing make a big difference. But as soon as that goal went in from Ryan Kent, what a hit! Like not Megan audio on the way to hitting it as well. You just kind of big deflection though, JJ. Ah, uh, yeah, but it's still like the way he pursues it, the way he drives it, goal. Aberdeen, and he should have scored before that as well. Just little gaps opening up. The loser head sometimes these defenders, Aberdeen. It's, it's certainly made up for He did have a big miss uh, before that. Um, but I, I agree with your assessment of Rangers, but Aberdeen hadn't conceded an away goal in the Premiership prior to Sunday. So mm-hmm. it's not all doom and gloom for Aberdeen if you think if you scrub this game out of the history books a wee bit. Not conceded an away goal in the Premiership. And it's midway through November. That's great mm-hmm. for Aberdeen. Although when you do break it down, it's, it's four games, but it's, it's four tough teams. It's, it's, <laughs> I agree with Laura. <laughs> it's, you, you can twist that as any way you want, but when you look at it, I mean, they, they've not conceded Dundee United, Hibs and St. Johnson, and we'll, we'll put Ross County in there as well, but I mean, Hibs and Dundee United, that's really, that's really good to, to have went there and not conceded. I'm, I'm going to give them credit for that. Yeah, and then and the way they've played is it's not deviated. It started with the same system, that kind of three four one two or three four two one in this one because you had Edmondson and uh, Hedges playing behind them. I think that changed the back four early on because they could see there were holes being opened up. But unless Aberdeen have their absolute best players and play very well in their day against that Rangers team, it's very very difficult to get anything out of it, especially when luck's not going their way. Because you didn't have Ferguson McCrory. Um, not after, me, Aberdeen. Uh, sorry. Of Come course, it was under 21. Scotland under 21's had about 11 players who have now tested or now have to isolate after like three uh, people as part of the, the team tested positive for coronavirus. So a lot of teams were a bit. Well, McCrory could have played anyway because he was a, he's a Rangers player still, technically, because yeah. he's on loan. And also, Conor McLennan missed out. Scott Wright was injured for it. There's a few players missing. I, I just, I, honestly, I think even with the strongest Aberdeen 11 there, they would have struggled to get a result. But uh, something too wrong with the setup. I think they'd. 
the plan made sense. People always moan about Aberdeen not having a go or being aggressive enough, but look what happens as soon as you open up against Rangers. They just cut through you. And that's what happens. You have to try and be a bit, maybe a bit more aggressive in the tackle. But when you've got a midfield of Greg Lee, who's just not quite known the position well enough to know where to cover, and Ojo, who's not maybe aggressive enough, uh, there's no chance against him. I mean, Arabo is brilliant throughout. Ryan Jack's absolutely phenomenal. Kent and Roof. They're just a really good team. <laughs> I don't, they I don't really are. They all. really are. And they've got Benfica on Thursday. Um, and if they win it, they could send them through to the last 32 uh, with two games to spare. And I, I think there's a rumour that Benfica might even rest a lot of their first team players for this game. But who knows? We'll find out. That's incredible to go, to go through with two games to spare. I think that's the best that Rangers will have done in the competition before to progress with such ease. They've not really done that since the, the new format came into place. That I think last season they got by on nine points. So I think they were one ahead of whoever came third. I think it was Young Boys. And then Gerrard's first season, they didn't get out of the group stages. So uh, this is this fantastic for them. They're in such a comfortable position right now. So good. Really good, really good. Well, coming up, we've got fabulous Falkirk. Ross County, rather rotten. But first, Celtic slip up once more. On this week's From the Horse's Mouth podcast, the lads are joined by Shane Lowry, fresh from his master's performance at Augusta. Here's what Shane's caddy was too scared to say to Tiger Woods after his disastrous 10 on the 12th. Because any time he hit a bad drive or an average drive, he'd say to Joe's caddy, that was like one of yours. And we stood on the 13th tee and Bo said to me, what do you think he'd say if I said to him, I bet you wish Joe had that one? <laughs> <laughs> Search Paddy Power on your podcast provider to listen now. Paddy Power. 18 plus On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. It could have been much worse for the champions as Diego Laxalt's late equaliser rescued a point from 2-0 down at Easter Road. But it's now just two wins in the last eight games for Neil Lennon's side. Celtic needed a penalty to get themselves back into this game. What do you guys think about this incident? Do you think it was a penalty or do you think this is quite harsh? Handball. The, the handball um, against Paul McGinn. Yes. I think I think he's a victim to the new rule. I mean, mm. it clearly wasn't intended, but he was in an unnatural position. Um, I feel like Portis kind of screwed him a wee bit on this and left him in a, in a this situation with his bad clearance. So he was put in put under awkward pressure to start with, and yeah, he wasn't in a natural silhouette. So. You can argue all day long it wasn't intended, but that's not the rule anymore. And we know it's very harsh and he's just been a victim of it. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> it's really harsh. His arm's swinging behind him. So it's not even that it's not it's unnatural. Uh, there's not much he can do. And I think he sort of laughs about it as well because you can see why it's a penalty. But you see, there's so many of these that just go unpunished in Scotland because they're not on VAR. So yeah. it's, I mean, some of them get picked up. Some of them don't. It's one of those where... Really, when you look at the end of the game and it finishes 2-2, Hibs will look at that point and think, oh, so unlucky. Because they, they, they had a really good chance to win this game. 2-0 up um, with half an hour to go. And the setup made sense with the way they were playing. Like, XG has them pretty much equal, to be fair. So it's not that Celtic were dreadful and, and, and stole this one. But they didn't do, really do enough to, to win it. And, and as well, like... Celtic started off back in that 4-2-3-1 and they'd switched to the back three by the end of it and the back three switch was when they managed to get back into the game. So which works? Not the system. The system's letting down whichever one they use. So it seems to be the players. And then Lennon, interesting after the game, he's really not... You can see he's very not happy with what's going on. And it's, there's no way that the... I know people think he needs to go and that he doesn't know what he's doing. But he was the guy that started this whole run. Sure enough, they didn't really have a challenger for most of it. And it doesn't look very good just now. But he was still winning things with Celtic, with a lot of these players. And it's to me, it's the players that aren't quite performing as they need to. Now, regardless of how good Lennon is as a manager, what he's doing, a change now might end up doing something, some sort of unquantifiable difference in the dressing room. It might, you know, stir some people up. But it might also, and it might be that kind of Ollie Solskjaer effect at Man United where someone goes in and they start winning games and they're good enough to win the rest of it anyway, but they fall apart at the end. But Lennon going after Scott Brown is interesting, saying how he should have been, should have known better. Because you think that's the kind of player that if he's the captain and setting the example to everyone, he's letting them down. Is he doing it on purpose because he knows that'll, that no one's untouchable? It seems like he wants to make changes, but he can't really do anything. 
yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. He can't make many changes. I know he had um, Duffy on the bench. Um, I mean, he's I, Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I was saying for, for, for weeks that he can't really rest him because he doesn't have anyone to come in. Since Beaton came back, he's been putting Beaton in ahead of Duffy. But Lennon came out and said it was only in the final 20 minutes um, that Celtic were showing any sign of, of intent of trying to get back into this game. Eduard... Scoring from the spot, wasn't it? And then, um... but it's been so easy for them for the last few seasons. I just wonder if they're not so desperate to win anymore. It's almost like they'll wait until Rangers have a little bit of a a lead. It's like kind of masochistic, and then they'll suddenly be like, "Oh, we better turn up now," and then they'll come into it. Do you know what I mean? It it's, kind... That's not obviously not what they're trying to do, but <laughs> yeah, it kind of just feels like this stopping the ten has gripped them to the extent where they cannot focus on anything else. It's it, the second anything goes wrong. I mean. <laughs> Lennon is a successful manager, Celtic are a successful team. It is not difficult to be a Celtic fan right now, unlike what we're seeing with fans panicking, freaking out, melting down over it on Twitter. It is not difficult for them right now. They have won 16 consecutive trophies, 35-odd consecutive cup games. They've lost one league game this season and only, what was it, four league games since Lennon took charge two and a half years ago. That's not a crisis. That doesn't make Lennon a bad manager. I think the two games in hand isn't helping. It's a psychological disadvantage there because you're looking at the table and you're seeing a big gap. And there's no guarantee that Celtic will get the six points from their two games in hand. But it all plays into it. They're, they're seeing their rivals do well. And yeah, it all kind of builds up over time. But I don't think there's room to... I don't think there's time to panic. Yes, there, there needs to be something. There needs to be some kind of shot bolt of lightning through some somewhere in the team that kind of gives them life again. But... I think it's too soon to call it a crisis. I think teams go through a lot of different runs where confidence plays a real part and they can ride momentum at some parts and, and that's when they just steamroll people like Rangers are doing now and Rangers will just blow teams out of the way until they get derailed by someone somewhere. But in Celtic, it's not quite all clicking together. and Not everyone seems happy. They're all things like Edward trying to get away and all that and there's probably a bit of... It's not... 100% harmony in the, the dressing room with players maybe not uh, totally committed like I suggested maybe they're not um, desperate to win as they once worked it's been so easy maybe there's a bit of pressure with 10 in a row I don't know if that actually feeds into it at all to be honest but I think the problem you've got is that because they were the champions teams want to play well against them and like Hibs for example have done quite well against uh, teams like Rangers and Celtic and they were decent enough here to had they just defended that last bit at the end, there's the problem that Celtic just find a way to get back into the game. But Hibs should get a lot of credit for the way they played, especially in the Celtic game, as they have done against big teams this season. But I wonder why they're so much better against big teams than they are against small ones. It's almost like they turn up for those, but not for the smaller games. Ryan Porteous um, came out to say that uh, Jack Ross had pinpointed an area where Celtic were quite weak. And um, he said, you see it in their second goal where it's a diagonal ball across where you have, I think it was Christie and Frimpong didn't even challenge for the ball. And I can't remember the player who flicks it on to Kevin Nisbet, who scores a fantastic goal. Absolutely amazing. I mean, the season that Nisbet has had has been phenomenal, particularly when you take into account the, the difficulties that he's had to face personally after losing his dad in the last few weeks. But that was an area where, where Jack Ross said at halftime, pummel that area. Maybe that's that tactical aspect that Jack Ross had in that game that changed things and Celtic couldn't affect that until the final 20 minutes when they bring on Griffiths and, and Edward. It means that Hibs have to have something different to worry about. Well, I wonder if it's actually easier to analyse uh, weaknesses in a team like Celtic because they've got such an obvious way of playing than it is to someone like, uh, I don't know, let's pick one, uh, Kilmarnock. There's not really huge weaknesses or strengths. <laughs> There's just a, a block. That's a good point. Are, are Celtic uh, predictable at the moment? Is that maybe uh, the issue? Maybe. I don't know. It, it's weird. Like At one point, I don't think Lennon's a particularly bad manager because he's won stuff and he knows how to forge a winning team. But I don't think that means he's good tactically. Like You can be a good manager without knowing all your nerd stuff. Do you know? Not that it's nerdy. It's essential. Like For example, I think Brendan Rodgers is a far superior coach <laughs> and tactician. Yeah. And yeah. that is probably the difference that you've got now is it's reverted to a kind of more about the mentality of the players. The mentality isn't there. You're not getting the performance out of them. And I think... like. This is one of the things that there was a guy, uh, Ross Quinn, uh, uh, tweeted in. He tweeted the totally shows saying, Can we finally put to bed Lennon as a good manager? He's had one good season 
uh, in our referring to Hibbs season back up. As soon as he got to half decent challenge, he collapses. Celtic need to make a change soon. Not to prove my point, because I can't prove it, but when he went from Celtic to try and go into bigger, better things, he went down to England, went to Bolton, for various reasons that went wrong. It's a lot harder to be a great manager if you're relying on mostly building a competitive team and relying on the mentality of players to drive you somewhere, because you have to identify them and bring them in. And I wonder whether a lot of their problems have been recruitment. Like you see, I think Jack Ross has bought really well in the summer and, and, and hired really well. But like players like Jamie Murphy, he's a really good signing, particularly in this game, you saw it. And that's made a big difference to how Hibs have taken a step forward, whereas the players Celtic have brought in, and not, I wonder whether they've actually taken a step forward they're trying to replace ones who've gone out. I, w- I will say, um, I, I spoke to a former Hibs player once, um, I think I said this quite a long while ago on the, sh- on the podcast, that um, Neil Lennon's management style isn't particularly to coach. He is very much just a rocket up your arse at the side of the pitch. Um, and he said that when dealing with young players, they don't react to that because young players are actually hungry to learn how to play football. And there are a lot of players at Celtic who can play football and understand football. And maybe that sort of management style doesn't work. Maybe Lennon's management style is to go in and put a rocket up a team to get them playing a certain level. But after this period of time, that's going to wear off. And I just wonder if it's wearing off for Celtic now and their players. Laura? Yeah, there's a few interesting points there. I think that is, young players especially, I think, react to the the coaching side of things and the, the almost like having a mentor to look up to. I don't think Lennon is that mentor that you that some other kind of coaches and managers kind of provide. Um, he is very much direct, straight to the point. Isn't quite the kind of the people person in the dressing room from what I kind of gather anyway. Um, but also on the, the kind of point Ross Quinn had made as well on decent ha- challenges. Um, you find I find that when Lennon is put under pressure. In terms of challenges, like on the pitch, I mean, his teams do tend to collapse sometimes. We've seen it in his first spell at Celtic. There was this hand in hoodoo where he couldn't progress in the League Cup and the Scottish Cup. Um, I think there was there was two Scottish Cup finals out of his four and a half years, four years there, full four seasons there. Couldn't progress in the, the League Cup um, and have the same success. We've seen it at Hibs, we've seen it at other clubs and then even coming back into it again at Celtic. Rangers haven't been posing a challenge and the season that they are suddenly Celtic aren't able to to contend with that and there was also just what JJ was saying about the kind of the recruitment as well I think that's another interesting point I, I feel like Lennon has maybe perhaps been a, a victim of the, the Brendan Rodgers era and the kind of short-term vision that was the, the club had then when they brought him in and he was appointed he changed a lot behind the scenes and Lennon's had to then kind of change a lot of things behind the scenes not been given a lot of time with it and we're kind of now seeing that there wasn't a long-term plan put in place a couple of years back and it's starting to have an impact now. Well, after the break, the rest of the Premiership weekend as Kettlewell goes crazy at Kilmarnock. She. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slater. Just pull up. Chris Burke. What a finish from Chris Burke. That's unstoppable. And Kelly have won it. Well, we've got to start this section with Kilmarnock's 3-1 win over Ross County on Saturday. Sounds kind of like the sort of scoreline you'd have expected, really, until you realise that Ross County had an extra man for 82 minutes. And then you kind of understand Stuart Kettlewell came out and saying... It's one of the worst results I've had in my involvement at this football club. I think Kilmarnock showed us up today. Their hunger and fight and desire far outshone ours. It's something I take personally. Pretty damning on his players. I mean, he's want, he's been wanting a reaction from his players for a while now and they haven't delivered. I think they're on a really terrible run at the moment. He's losing it. He's losing it. 
This is, is coming. Yeah, this, the the players are so short of confidence. This is one of the things where you'll see a lot of managers. I think will come out and they'll defend their players no matter what, and they'll say, "I think we did this really well." And you'll be like, "You're an idiot! Can't you see that all your players are bad and you need new ones?" But they have to defend them because they're they're players, and you can't just, even though it benefits you as a as a as a person, like it, don't look to not look like an idiot by saying that your players are doing really well. You just can't slag them off, basically. But when you start going at them when they're already low in confidence, it's really dangerous because you can't really get a rise out of them if you're already not getting it. There's no way during the the week before that he's been all like, well done, guys, we're going to be good here. He's clearly angry and going at it and he's just spilled over here. And the things he's saying about this, the, the worst result, his team, the, the way they were set up was... They had, in theory, three midfielders or something. I didn't see any. They were just pumping it over the top. Every single the ball was going long from the start of the game, like long, 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 long. And <laughs> after about thirty minutes, maybe they calmed it down a bit and they started trying to get little passing triangles going on the on the sides. But Kamarnik were ready for that. They just showed played in, showed played wide, kept them there, won the ball back easily, and then was quite direct against them. And Kamarnik were set up in a four four two at start, switched to a four four one afterwards, and there was no difference. They looked like they had the extra man. It was weird. <laughs> It's weird, yeah. So Ross County haven't won in their last seven games and they're they're posed with one of the best opportunities they could to go and win a game when Stuart Finlay has shown a straight red card and brought down Ross Stewart, I think it was. But they can't control games. They can't take moments like that and, and use it to their advantage. So it was Eamon Brophy, wasn't it, that, that gave Kilmarnock the lead, which was only six minutes later. Yeah, I think you need to credit Kelly for it as well. I mean, it was a, a great performance from Kelly. I, I imagine what the scoreline would have been if they had 11 men on the pitch. It just seemed to all click for them. Very good individual performances, fantastic team effort. I think they'd also switched their formation from normal um, and coped with it very well. I think Alex Dyer deserves a bit of credit for dealing with the red card early on. He made a brave call at half-time to take Brophy off as well. Well, he had um, to, didn't he, because of Stuart Finlay's red card. Yeah, had to. So, that's what I was going to say. It was a tactical change. It wasn't. There wasn't an injury there. But also, I mean, you're taking off your your star, star striker at that point, your, your goal scorer. Um, it's a it's a big call to make, but it proved to to be worth it in the end. And and Danny Rogers, there was a match winning save. Was it about it was when it was two oh, one. Oh man, it yeah. was brilliant. It, it, it just I think it kind of changed not changed things but it, it kind of sealed it for Kelly at that point. And if they they weren't feeling confident by that point, they definitely would have after that. So it's, it's really good for Kilmarnock. I think definitely a game to keep the fans happy. But have you seen who Ross County have got in their next run of games? <laughs> their Go next on. run of fixtures are Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, a bottom, well not bottom of the table clash, but down there clash with Ackies, and then Celtic again, all before well, Christmas. Uh, well, they'll be looking forward to playing Celtic, won't they? <laughs> Pretty easy game, isn't it? The only team they'll beat out of those is Aberdeen. The, the other thing with this game is uh, uh, Kilmarnock are, are absolutely best when they play in the counter. And Ross County, after the initial like pump it and have no control of what the hell they're doing, it just looks so devoid of confidence or like t- there's no belief in what they're doing. Um, the players, I don't think maybe the, the players are all good players, right? They're not. Ve- they're not. How do I say this? They're not very good. Is what I'm trying to say. That's that's just not beat around it. The players aren't very good, apart from Ross Stewart, and uh, they're not able to pass it around enough. I think Ross Stewart's a good player. But they're, like, they're passing it around mostly around the defence, so they had all the possession, but all of it is in safe positions. They weren't able to break down Kilmarnock because they don't have the players to do it, which is not a bad thing. Not A lot of teams struggle to beat Kilmarnock down. But it played into how Alex Dyer wants to play, hit him on the counter. You look at the passing map from this game, you can get a hold of it. Uh, a lot of the passing from Kilmarnock is from goalkeeper to number 11. Is that Kabamba, I think? Nicky. Yeah, so that's that's one of their main passing routes. <laughs> was goalkeeper to Kabamba, um, which is long. But Kamarnik then were able to like they kept the lines compressed, so they were able to squeeze the space and just wait for Ross County to make a mistake and hit them on the counter. And it wasn't until late, sure enough, that they got the win. But yeah, like we said, I don't. I think they're in a bit of trouble. I think Kettlewell is starting to lose ideas. I I I have to just before we'll move on. Um, I I I kind of I agree that Ross Stewart is their best player. But he has got to start taking the chances that are coming his way. A lot of the time, you're saying they're not provide. You would say to teams like this, you would, they're not providing enough opportunity for the forward men. How many times is Ross Stewart going to get an opportunity and go and not put it away? It's it's just not it's not good enough. Well, let um, me tell you. I'll tell you exactly how much his expected goals is five point five, and his actual goals is two. So take well, back everything go. I said. Well, that, that could be confidence, <laughs> though. You know, it really can be. 
and it, yeah, it should yeah. balance out. It's 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 weird with these sorts of players, especially with strikers. But there you go. I Ross County really underperforming. But the the only positive for them really was that Hamilton lost to Dundee United two one, um, and I have to admit, like Hamilton were kind of unlucky because I think it was after seventy minutes, Dundee United had barely had a shot on target. <laughs> It was it was a really woeful game. Yeah, it kind of came to life in the last kind of fifteen twenty minutes, didn't it? But then, so Aki's had so so it was two quick goals from Dun United um, after Aki's took the lead, but they had the chance to equalise right at the end as well because Ross was it Ross Callahan. Callahan at the second yeah. penalty uh, to the penalty. Yeah, so he he'd been fouled by Jamie Robson, right? But this wasn't a penalty. So they skied the penalty as a result. I mean, I think it hit the car, one of the cars in the car park. Blutered it. it kind into of the feels car park, like justice yeah. was done because that's just good sportsmanship. Such a harsh penalty. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I kind of feel like I'm. I'm not really. I don't really feel sorry for them. <laughs> uh, this is an example for me, like, of exactly what you see. So I think Rice had his team set up. They knew what they were doing, but in the final, maybe like twenty minutes, you can see they just started to get really nervous. And players started to be worried about what was going to happen, almost as if they knew. And they started dropping too deep, and the the space in between defence and midfield became too large. And like the last goal they let in, the one that uh, Clark scores when he runs on to to hit it. Um, if you look at the the goal, there's so much space between the centre backs for the back line and the middle line, and I think that is players maybe not taking responsibility, not because they're a weak mentality or anything, but they're just nervous and they're waiting for someone else to step up to do it for them. Like you need people in that situation who are who go in and lead and, and come back and take it on. And I think it's just confidence and nerve. They're so close to getting some sort of a result, and you start already letting the equaliser and it all starts to come together. And then Rice after the game is like full of praise of his players, but he has to be because they just got pumped by Rangers, like destroyed, torn apart, and now they've just narrowly lost here. So you can't be harsh. But Rice knows that his players are no good, and he needs to get better ones in. <laughs> He does. Like, like the players themselves know they're not just quite good enough at the moment. Like, I think Rice, you can see he knows how to set up a team and he puts in decent game. The game plans are often like you start aggressive, you'd fall back and then if you go a goal up, you'd, you'd change. Everything's organised and it's there. But it's nothing you can really do when the players start to, to lose sure, their heads a little yeah. bit. He's, 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 yeah, you can't, you can't slam a team when they're already down. Um, I want to talk about Dundee United. Kind of mixed reviews... Uh, for Dundee United over the past couple of weeks, but they are unbeaten in like seven games now. And um, I have to admit, Nicky Clark's finally coming up with the goods as well. And his second goal in particular. But I think really the 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 nugget of gold um, amongst United, Mark McNulty really showed up in this game. He's passed for the, I, I can't remember who got the assist in the end, who cut it back for Clark, but that first initial pass. And then McNulty getting into the right areas to find Clark for the for the second. Um, really good player. I, I really like him um, right now. Yeah, we, we've been saying for a while. Dundee United, it's not it's not pleasant to watch, but they're getting the results. They're do, they're doing the business. It's it's one of these ones you just kind of you look to the score if you're a fan and maybe not subject yourself to the ninety minutes. But yeah, Mark McNulty, I think um, he's a very clever player, involved with both the goals at the weekend. I think he maybe gives the ball away cheaply sometimes, but. See when he breaks his duct and he starts scoring, I think he'll be scoring for fun. I think he's going to be really dangerous, kind of into the winter months. And he he's, he started off well, um, and it's only it's only up here from now. Yeah, maybe and maybe maybe Lauren Shanklin can get involved because um, he he seems to be getting a bit outshone a little bit. Um, but let's talk Livingston. They lost one 0 to St Mirren at the Tony Macaroni. Um, St Mirren ending an eight match winless streak. But I'd rather talk about Livingston and Gary Holt coming out post-match and saying he has to look at himself. Um, and he's, he said to his players that they have to go home and look at themselves. It kind of suggested that, I don't know if it's a tactic of, of, of his to try and get his players to, to butt their ideas up, but it's odd to suggest that he's questioning his own position. Yeah, you don't really see managers coming out and saying this, don't you not? So he said in his post-match he'd have to look at himself and ask if he's doing the best he can and if not, then maybe it's time they got someone else in. It's very strange. It's strange because he's not the worst manager in the league right now. He's not struggling as much as some other teams and they're as as close to the top six as they are the the bottom of the table. So I don't 
I, I'm, I'm not a Livy fan, I can't speak for them, but I don't think they will be as frustrated with their team right now as some of the other fans in the league with their clubs. Well, the, pro- the problem that Livingston has had has been the same from the start of the season. They lost really important players. Uh, they underperform at both ends of the pitch on XG. Uh, I think some of that is down has been down to the goalkeeper. But uh, like Gary Holt coming out and saying what he said, I think it's because he has tried a lot of different things and he realises there's not really much he can do. He, I think he's a good coach and we saw what he's been doing the last couple of seasons, like getting results out of Celtic, things like that. Uh, I mean, you think of the difference Lyndon Dykes has had. He had an international level footballer, it turns out, uh, the whole time at Livingston there, right? So that's you take that out of a team like Livingston and they're gonna, always going to struggle because it's impossible to replace them. But then if you look at... Um, like they're just so unlucky with a lot of things they're doing, but some of it isn't luck. Some of it is the way the players are doing certain things on the pitch. They conceded eight goals, I think, from set pieces this season. There's probably actually more, and if you include second and third phases of, of free kicks, the goal they let in in this game, you can even look at the exact problem that it is. It's a mixture of zonal and man marking, which is there's nothing wrong with how they line up. Zonal across the six yard box and other boys watching runners, and you have Jason Holt, who I think is meant to be like a blocker for the guy running in off the at the back of the box. And as the ball comes in, it drops the guy in the back of the box who scores, names going out my head. But Holt is watching the ball the whole time. It's really basic stuff. He'd learned when he was a kid not to just follow the ball. You know where your man is, you glance, you scan, you know where everything is. And before he's reacted to it, the ball's already hidden towards the goal. And so all Holt will do during the week is prepare his players. They'll make sure that they're they're organised the set pieces because they've conceded so many. There's no way they're not working on it. But if what he's telling them in, in training is not going in to match day, what are you meant to do? probably a different coach different approach and maybe he doesn't have the answers anymore sure uh jake doyle hayes was the was the guy with the only That's goal him. who also made the most interceptions in the game um i think you well can done. never you can never doubt you can never doubt uh, st mirren not putting absolutely everything um full of effort well finally laura we've made you wait this long we're finally going to talk about st johnston one motherwell one one defeat in eight for saints but Mark O'Hara back in midfield, and um, looks like that's maybe where he should play all the time. Brilliant goal. I don't, I don't think he'd um, argue that case. I think he prefers to play in defence. Really? I think he does. Yeah. But uh, to be honest, he's, he's such a good utility man that he can play in so many different positions. It's, it's great to have someone like that because of what happened before the, the game. It meant that O'Hara had to go back into midfield. So, as as Stephen Robinson kind of confirmed before kick off. We got the the news very late about the Scotland under twenty one squad having to isolate so many of their players, um, which meant that Alan Campbell and Barry Maguire missed out. Now these boys were set to start the the game; they'd been named in the starting eleven. We didn't find out till eleven o'clock on Saturday morning that these boys weren't just out of the game that day, but they're out of the next three games. So you can kind of understand why there's a wee bit of um, kind of annoyance in terms of not not just Motherwell, other clubs as well who have been affected by this. Um, a lot of kind of questions raised over the, the protocols and, and what has been met and what hasn't. But it meant as a result that Marco Harris has been playing in defence for the last few games. But with Barry Maguire missing out, it meant that he had to move into midfield, which is where he played more last season. It helped because Bevis McGabby came back from injury, so the switch was kind of seamless in that sense. And Mark is can effortless, effortlessly play kind of in the middle and in defence. It doesn't seem to make a difference to him. He's so comfortable, and um, yeah, when he steps up, he, he's he's proved so far. He's so reliable in terms of set pieces from free kicks and penalties. But now the fact he's he's finishing off really good team goals as well. It was a really kind of the, the goals a team effort. It was a really good build up. And to see him finishing like that as well, he's he's really come on to something this season. I think he's really building. He's, he's getting stronger and stronger. Laura, was 1-1 a fair result in the end? It wasn't the, the most exciting game I've, I've seen in recent weeks. It's um, <laughs> It was also the coldest game I've been to in recent weeks as well. Was, I mean, I was willing it to be full-time because it was so uncomfortable. But also, it, it wasn't a pretty game. Um, I think Stephen Robinson said after the game, no, no, no side really took the game by the scruff of the neck. And I think that kind of sums it up. It was quite kind of lacklustre in certain areas. Um, the t- the pitch didn't help. To be honest, I don't want to use that as an excuse for either side, really. But it just it wasn't a it wasn't a pretty game of football. Um, St Johnson, they, they I mean they, they they got the penalty. Um, didn't really trouble Aaron Chapman and goals that much. And to be honest, we didn't really challenge them as well inside the box. Motherwell had some positives in the sense of 
Robbie Crawford had his first start. Um, Ricky Lamy came back from injury. Tony Watt, another really strong performance from him. He's he's proven to be, is is he might not be scoring the goals every week. He might not be getting on the, the score sheet, but he's a really physical, hard worker up front. So it's another positive to take from that. Um, to be honest. I think next weekend's game, when the two sides meet again in the League Cup, will be a very different game at Fir Park. I think the pitch might play a part in that because the grass was very long on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm also hoping that it's a lot more entertaining (laughs) than what it was at the weekend. And a lot warmer, please. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, do you know who'd make a good Celtic manager? Stephen Robinson. JJ. He would, would though, wouldn't he? You are getting that spoon out and you're stunning it. (laughs) Hey. And I'm not biting. He knows what he's doing. I think he'd, I'm not even trying to wind you up. I think he'd be really good. I don't know if he'd get the job. Anyway. Why wouldn't Callum Davidson get the job? Isn't he doing a good job at St. Johnson? He's doing a fine job. Slavin's doing a fine job. (laughs) Coming up, we've got Falkirk and fantasy football. All the Fs. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. We've been living in a fantasy world since Bill Gray two weeks ago, but it's time for the serious business of fantasy football Scotland. JJ, you captained Considine. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> You're okay. an idiot. Do you want to know how many points he got? Minus uh, six. Wow. Nice. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> how many times have I had to tell you? Captain Tavernier. <laughs> You will not go wrong. I always do, but this week I thought, ah, they've got two games. Maybe you thought against the best team in the division who have not been conceding any goals. They've been scoring for fun. Captain Considine. Yeah, but they've got another game <laughs> in midweek against Hamilton, which you think you get a clean sheet in. Uh, the other thing that uh, you might like about this week was that um, a lot of people had Lewis Ferguson, because obviously he's, I think he's the top scorer in... He's one of the top scorers in the league, if not the top scorer. 45% of players had him. Uh, but when you found out all these players are missing because of the COVID-19 thing, I very cleverly took him out and swapped him for Scott Wright, who was also injured. <laughs> oh, so that's the thing that happened. But yeah, there we go. Should have should have put in Scott Arfield, who is uh, only 2% of players have him, apparently. Did you know what that? about What about Nicky Clark um, getting into your team now that he's, I think he's scored twice as many points as Lauren Shanklin? He's got 52 points and he's banging in the goals for United. You got yeah, him, Laura? I, I don't think I have him, but I did have Shanklin. I don't have him either. He didn't, Shanklin didn't last long in my team, to be honest. I think Nicky Clark is a very good shout to, to, be, to be bought now for the coming upcoming games. Dundee United are home to Livy. Uh, they've got Livy. I don't know if it's a home game for them. I think Clark is a very good sell. Or yeah, McNulty, yeah, perhaps, for that reason. Yes, McNulty's another one. Definitely look at him. And Eamon Brophy as well, if we're talking about goal scorers. If you want Ooh. some goals in your team, I think he's another good one. Um, also, Get the Wolf in. At, <laughs> also, if you're looking at Kelly, Rogers as well, in goal. Um, they're playing Aki's next. So could be a wee kind of... I imagine he's not as expensive as some of your kind of Celtic or Rangers keepers. but They do concede goals, though. It could be a one-off. It could be a one-week thing. They're playing Aki's. So. I mean, I don't know why I'm giving you advice. I am awful at this game. Well, listen to Laura. She knows what she's doing. Uh, the one thing to remember is that there's no game in the fantasy thing this week because it's the League Cup, you see, for the 2020-21 season rather than last season to mm-hmm. make it easier to understand. Uh, but I wonder, I'm not sure, have a little look, everyone, because you might be able to like engineer yourself like a double transfer week because you can make a transfer this week, maybe, then another one after. This might be your chance to get in a big player. Like, Ryan Christie is due to get back in the score sheets at some point. And uh, I think, you look at Joe Arable, he scores a lot of goals. He'd be someone you want to get in, depending if you don't already have three Rangers defenders, which I think everyone does. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Well, it's time now to hear from our friends Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Charlie. A couple of midweek games, starting with Hibs versus St. Johnson on Tuesday night. Charlie. 
Yeah, Hibs haven't beaten St Johnson in a league game at Easter Road since Hibs fan Andy Murray won Wimbledon 2012. Whoa. 2012 was the last time it happened. Clearly, Andy made a deal with the devil who said, yes, you can finally win Wimbledon, but Hibs will never win a league game at home to St Johnston again. And Andy reluctantly agreed. But Paddy Power think that run might be coming to an end. Jack Ross's side evens to win on Tuesday night. St Johnston 5-2 and the draw is 12-5. On the subject of Hibs, Kevin Nisbet is fourth favourite with Paddy Power to be the top scorer in the Premiership this season behind Edouard, Roof and Ayeti. That's Albion a Yeti, not a Yeti. Uh, the current top scorer, James Tavernier, is sick favourite at 10-1. to He'll need Rangers to get a lot of penalties, though, and that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Are you sure? <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, just gonna stop me. It's not bad being a Bairn right now. Unbeaten in League One so far. They beat the league leaders on Saturday and they host Rangers on Sunday in the League Cup. Martin Simpson from the Falkirk Herald joins us now. Are you looking forward to the game against Rangers, Martin? Uh Looking forward's an interesting way of putting it. I, I guess so, yeah. Any time a team in the lower divisions gets to test themselves against one of the old firms, always always a great occasion. Uh, and obviously, you know, it goes without saying it would be made much better with fans there. But all the same, yeah, I think you could say most people will be looking forward to it, if maybe not slightly so optimistic. Do you... I mean, is it, it's obviously a big game for the club, but is it sort of sullied a little bit by there maybe being a lack of financial gain that you'd normally get if we're fans to be in the stadium? Well, there's that, but the financial game also comes from the prize money within the tournaments, and that alone to a club like Falkirk is quite substantial. Uh, it is soured a little bit, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be drawn at home to Celtic or Rangers, not having crowds there is a pretty serious kick in the teeth, but... Like we say, I mean, just getting to this stage in the competition provides a welcome cash injection. I mean, obviously, it's going to take a big ask. It's going to take a Rangers off day and Falkirk to be completely on it. But if it was to happen, who do you think are the kind of key players that you'd look at from your side to really make a difference against them? Well, Callum Morrison's the difference maker. Ex-Hearts winger signed this summer. Uh, every time I've seen Falkirk play, the aim has been to get him on the ball as often as possible. I spoke to him when he signed for the club and he said his goal was to get into double figures, goals and assists this season. And I thought in a shortened league season, that for a winger is is quite an optimistic goal. But he's already scored five goals in eight games and he looks every bit the player that is more than capable of playing in the championship or even higher. So he's certainly Falkirk's go-to man. Um, Apart from that, you know, there's there's experience in that team. You've got the likes of Connor Salmon, uh, Lee Miller, very very experienced player, player manager, uh, and one player I would say to watch out for would be former Rangers player Charlie Telfer, who has had a really really difficult time with injuries over the past year or so. Uh, he came on in the second half against Partick Thistle when Falkirk were trailing two one, and just brought a spark to what at that point was a really flat Falkirk side and managed to get the equalising goal in 88 minutes so I don't expect him to start but you know he's the kind of player that can really bring you uh, a new level coming off the bench So uh, things are going quite well at the moment in the in the league anyway Falkirk beat Cove it was their, gave Cove their first defeat of the season actually on Saturday which is a fairly a decent result and that means Falkirk are the only unbeaten side in League 1 and you wrote it's only the fifth game of the season but it feels like an absolutely massive result. Do you think it's between Falkirk and Cove to go up this season? It, it's hard. To, at the start of the season, I would have said it was between Falkirk, Partick and Cove. I have to say something. I mean, you obviously read the match report I did there. I was quite unimpressed with Cove and that was disappointing for me being a North East lad myself. I've also seen Partick Thistle, like I said, in that, that two-all draw. They, for me haven't you they they didn't show anything that made me go wow and 
I think the thing about Falkirk is, is they really haven't hit the heights they're capable of either yet. I think there's still a lot more to come from them. And to say it's just a, a two-horse race between any two teams in this division, I mean, y- you can look at some of the other teams in that league. I mean, I've been surprised that East Fife have had such a poor start because they, they really have a, a very, very good squad who have, over the years, have performed very well. Montrose can never be discounted. Again, you know, Stuart Petrie has done a wonderful job there to to sort of transform them from where they were to where they are now. Airdrie as well, you know, Airdrie have brought in a lot of exciting players over the summer. I mean, I wouldn't like to have called this league five games ago and I still wouldn't like to call it now, but I would say yes, Falkirk are the favourites and I do based on the players Cove Rangers have, I would expect them to be aiming for one of the top three spots as a minimum. A good time to mention it was a massive win for Dunfermline in the the championship on Friday. Did you see they they beat Hearts 2-1 at East End Park? A massive statement, I think, because everyone obviously assumes that with Hearts squad, what they've got at their hands, um, they should be strolling it. But it's Dunfermline that seemed to be the... The, the real kind of surprise uh, but every game on this level is a tough game you know <laughs> take them <laughs> one at a time Hearts weren't supposed to lose all season but here we go it happens I wonder if it's that thing where it's been a little bit not too easy because it's not been easy so far but uh, yeah it's good that these things happen isn't it you get little slip ups along the way makes it more exciting yeah, it gives a bit, it puts some more importance at the level of the division as well that these teams aren't going to be rolled over and you know the likes of some really good players at Dunfermline. Don Thomas um, had a brilliant game. Yeah, I think Hearts, Inverness, and Dundee were probably tipped as kind of three of the kind of stronger sides in the league. Hearts sitting in third, Inverness sitting in fifth, Dundee sitting in seventh. It's it's great. Dunfermline have kind of picked up. Some uh, good form. I think they, they did have a good run last season as well, didn't they? Um, they're sitting top on 13 points. It's great. Wraith Rovers as well. Splitting. It's not the most important one of the week, though. Queen of the South won their first game of the season against <laughs> Aloha. Yes. Very, very good to see. Um, they should be beating Aloha, but Aloha are kind of very good at beating Queen of the South. Um, unrelated to um, what's been going on, obviously there's two Premiership games left this week. We've got Hibs St. Johnston on Tuesday, Hamilton Aberdeen on Wednesday. Um, but we got a question in from Colin who said, I see Bologna won again and Aaron Hickey seems to be starting every week, even earning a wee FIFA ratings boost in last week's squad update. I know the pod loves video game chat. I think that's you, JJ. Um, is he a shout for the Euros? Maybe at right back? I mean, it seems to make, makes sense to be in the squad, surely, if he keeps continuing this form. This this squad, how big do everyone think this Euros squad is going to be? We only have 23 spots. Um, and I think that there's only really, arguably, three places up for grabs when you can analyse the, the squad because obviously two massive players missed out in the last one uh, this month. It's going to be so tight who gets in. Um, and there's also quite a few on the kind of peripheral as well that you'd argue deserve to be in. So I think the big one is who gets picked in March. Um, and that will be a good reflection for the Euros. I mean, he's obviously, he was a left back for, for Hearts, but he did play it right back, JJ. He's um, two footed, yeah. He can play either side. But he, he might know, he might be a specialist in one of them. Um, it's, not, it's not a bad thing to be able to play both sides. I think he might be a really good option as a utility player if he can play both wing-back and full-back on either side. Mm-hmm. He is very young and maybe, like, it's an awful, awful rush in here and, and, and especially in England as well that people want these young players in as soon as they can get them in. Yeah, But I maybe mean, it's just that you, thing of you bring them in just to get that experience. Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you remember in World Cup 98, and I don't know the numbers of the squads, but they brought in, I think it was two young boys at the time, just for the experience, take them along, oh, who get them they? up to speed. Who were they? I need to it know was, who they were. It was Mark Burchill and... I can't remember the other one. It might have been Keegan Parker. I don't know. I don't think it was Keegan Parker. But Mark Burchill was definitely one of them. I remember seeing it in the the team photo in the hotel when they were all getting um, their kilts all fitted and stuff. This was uh, Craig Brown's (laughs) World Cup diary, by the way. Absolutely fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I used to watch that repeat when I was younger. Um, But yeah, they kind of went along for the experience. um, And I don't know if they were counted in the 23-man squad or whatever the number was back then. So it would be interesting to know if we can bring younger boys along because it would be good to include someone like Aaron Hickey, who is so young, 
I mean, when you're talking about utility men in defence, I, I mean, I know I was talking about, but Mark O'Hara is a utility man in defence. Fullback uh, though, he's he plays you, the centre normally, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're we're nitpicking now on on positions, yeah. but it's, I, I think he's so young. The lessons he will learn are going to be invaluable abroad. It's going to be so good for him in his career. It's going to be so good for Scotland. It might just be a wee bit too soon for him. One more thing, if we're looking at Aaron Hickey, you should be looking at Ryan Gold, who's doing really well in Portugal at the moment. Um, according to Who Scored, who are very, very good, their algorithm and rating players is something I rely on quite a lot. Not rely on, but I use. Uh, he's meant to be the seventh best performing player in um, whatever the Premier League is called these days. Liga Nos, it was for a while. Um, yeah, he's playing very well for Ferenci. Uh, three assists, two goals in seven games so far. And by all accounts, is getting quite good reviews from some of the Portuguese press. Why not him? Because we already have midfielders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think that that is it. And but I forward, think a lot of people, will, a lot of people will remember he, he came back to Scotland and played for Hibs and and didn't really do very much. But it's nice to see he's doing very well um, abroad. But I think we have to call it there. We have to say goodbye to everyone because we only have a certain amount of time. So thank you, JJ. Thank you, Laura. Also, thanks to um, David and Martin for joining us on the show. Special thanks to super producer Charlie. And we'll be back next Tuesday um, after the second round of the League Cup. So cheerio! You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.